Amen and amen. I recently heard a story about a preacher who was kind of weaving on the highway and got pulled over by the state police. And um, the officer said to the uh, pastor, he said, have you been drinking, pastor? He says, absolutely not. He said, what's that bottle there on your, on your seat? He said, oh, that's a bottle of water. He said, may I see it? He opened it up. He says, that's not water. That's wine. And the preacher goes, praise God, he did it again. <laughs> Miracles never cease from the hand of our Lord. Amen. Exodus chapter 30, verse 23. Take the best spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels. Of sweet scented cinnamon, half as much, 250 shekels. Of fragrant calamus, 250 shekels. And of cassia, 500 shekels. In terms of the sanctuary shekel. And of olive oil, a hen. And you shall make of these a holy anointing oil. A perfume compounded after the art of the perfume perfumer. It shall be a sacred anointing oil. Now verses 26 through 29 tell us all the the, the tabernacle and all the uh, artifacts and all the, the uh, parts of the tabernacle were to be anointed by this special holy anointing oil. And whatever the anointing oil touched became now holy. Now in verse 30, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and sanctify or separate them that they may minister to me as priests and say to the Israelites, this is a holy anointing oil, symbol of the Holy Spirit, the Amplified Bible adds. Sacred to me alone throughout your generations, it shall not be poured upon a layman's body, nor shall you make any other like it in composition. It is holy, and you shall hold it sacred. Remember this anointing symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit it is holy, and you shall hold it sacred. Whoever compounds anything like it or puts any of it upon an outsider shall be cut off from the people, his people, and that actually could even mean death. Anointing oil for a holy purpose, for a holy purpose. My thoughts were drawn over to the conversation Jesus had with Peter over in John chapter 21. And he's endeavoring to bring Peter into a place where he can see the greater good or the greater purpose of the anointing that Jesus knew was upon Peter's life. And he says to Peter in John 21, Peter, do you love me? And that word love there is agapeo. And it means to love with a complete commitment. In other words, it's the God kind of love. It's a love that has no distractions. It's a love that is totally given over to, to favor, to commitment, to the things that you love. It, um, there's a word I'm trying to grab, and I just can't quite grab that word, but I think you get what I'm endeavoring to say. I got it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Unconditional. <laughs> Unconditional love is what 
Jesus is speaking to Peter. He's saying, do you love me with an unconditional love? Peter says, you know I love you, Jesus. But what Peter is saying, he uses a different word here than agapeo. He uses the word phileo. And he's saying, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. You're like a brother to me. We're that close. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, I found this interesting also because the word feed here means to lead into pastures, to, to guide them, and to bring them into a place where they can graze and grow and be nurtured and grow strong in their relationship. Feed my lambs. The lambs are the immature, the young. Those that are perhaps still carnal in their walk, in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to now guide my lambs into a place where they can grow and be nurtured and fed in green pastures. My lambs. Well, what was the pur purpose of that? So they could grow to be mature sheep. Express your love for them by pouring your life into them, guard them, protect them. Jesus said to Peter a second time, do you love me? Once again, he uses the word agapeo. Do you agapeo me, Peter? And Peter says, Lord, I told you, I love you like a brother. Phileo, I love you like a brother. Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Now, he uses a different word here in the Greek for the word feed. That word means to tend to them as a shepherd. Actually refers to them to rule over them like a loving, caring father. And I thought of the scripture over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, where the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Now, in today's society, that doesn't go over real well. There's something that's in our surroundings, in our environment, if you will, that wants to cause us to rebel against any form of authority. But there is an established authority in the church. And God wants his people to yield or submit to that authority Never submit to wrong, never submit to evil, never submit to sin, but to yield and submit to that godly covering over your life. Here's what Hebrews 13, 17 says, New Living Translation, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. They are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And unfortunately, there are those sheep that have a tendency to just create a stir and a problem and difficulties in the body of Christ because they rebel against God-ordained authority. And God says that's not proper, it's not right, and it will not be beneficial for you. 
And I believe what happens when we have and entertain any form of rebellion within our heart because the Bible tells us that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. When we entertain any realms of rebellion within our heart, it opens the door to satanic influence, satanic affliction. So we need to be very, very cautious. Remember, church, you never submit to evil, to wrong, to sinful direction. Never, never, never. But when spiritual authority is endeavoring to can get, convey spiritual truths out over you, over you, your heart should be open to receive spiritual truths, to receive correction, to receive direction in your life in order that you might mature. Feed, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Guide them, guard them, lead them like a shepherd. Rule over them like a loving father would rule over his family, over his children, to protect them, to guard them, to guide them. Years ago, many, many years ago, I had a dream. And several of the dreams that I've had over the years, they're like, like they happened just even like last night. In this dream, I was lying in a field, so to speak, on a hill kind of overlooking a flock of sheep. And I was at peace, just resting there. And all of a sudden, I saw a disturbance within the sheep. And it brought me up onto my side, and I began to look and ponder and see what was causing the disturbance. And I went to reach for my sword on the side, started pulling the sword out, which I believe was typical of the word of God. And immediately the disturbance calmed down. Now something that the Lord told me about that in that dream was authority, spiritual authority in the body, in a local church. Also, if you want to know where the wolf is active, watch the sheep. Watch over the sheep. The wolf will stay as far away from the shepherd as he possibly can. But watch over the sheep. That's why a pastor is called a shepherd. Poimen in the Greek. Pastor, poimen means shepherd. So shepherd my people. Watch over them. Guard them. Rule over them lovingly and gently as a father would rule over his family with love and compassion. Today we know and understand that there's many, many uh, uh, pastors, but not all pastors are shepherds. Not all pastors are shepherds. I recall a time when a pastor called me because I had visited someone in the hospital that was part of his congregation, at least his, his, uh, this kid's family was part of his congregation, and he called me because when I went in to visit this kid, he was in a very serious accident. And I asked this young man, I said, what would happen to you had you died in this accident? Would you have gone to heaven or would you have gone to hell? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, I would have went to hell. And it gave me opportunity to lead him to Jesus Christ, that he was born again there in the hospital room. But I got a call from this pastor of this boy's family, and he was very angry with me. And he began to chide me and, and, uh, uh, and rebuke me, and I didn't understand why. 
what right did I have to go in and talk to that boy about salvation? And the more I talked to this pastor, the more I saw that he was a pastor in name only. He was not a shepherd of the sheep. And I began to minister to him. The man said, I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I can't take much more of what this, this, of, of the ministry. And he began to cry over the phone. This man was in a position, he was a hireling. He had a job, but he was not a shepherd. He was not a shepherd. A shepherd will stay with it through thick and thin, regardless of, of the uprisings, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the issues. A shepherd is going to remain faithful, not only to the Lord, but to the flock and to care for them and watch over them. Amen and amen. And I pray that that would always be my heart and the heart of every pastor in this ministry. Jesus said to Peter, do you love me a second time? Agapeo. Peter says back, you know I love you like a brother, like a brother. Now feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now Jesus uses the word feed now as he reverts back to feed my lambs. And when he speaks of feeding, Jesus is saying, Pastor Shepherd, lead them into a place where they can grow and be nurtured. Sheep are more mature in their walk and their relationship. Sheep in the Greek means one that walks forward. So what is a sheep doing? Not a lamb. What is a sheep doing? A sheep is constantly coming to the place where they're endeavoring to mature in their walk and their relationship with Jesus Christ. Feed, pastor, shepherd, rule, guard, guide, rebuke if necessary, correct if necessary. But they're sheep. They should be able to withstand that. They desire to walk in maturity in their relationship with Almighty God. They shouldn't need to be coddled constantly. They shouldn't need constant attention. Why? Because they have a deepening relationship with Christ. They have an ongoing maturing with their Lord and their God. In fact, sheep should be helping the pastor or the shepherd to care for the lambs in the congregation or in the flock. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says so. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And what is the fivefold ministry to be doing? They are to be equipping the saints. And the saints are to be doing the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And you see, for so many years, the church, so to speak, and even organized religion has gotten this thing reversed. The board or the congregation, even if you will, will select or choose a pastor. And then that pastor is paid to do all the work of the ministry. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the fivefold ministry is to train the sheep 
train those who are desiring to walk in maturity in order that they can go forth and do the work of the ministry. And I believe that's what's happening here at Word of Life. We have people here that are all on different levels in their walk and their relationship with Christ. And a shepherd or the pastor is relying upon the more mature sheep in the body to care for the younger or the carnal or the immature sheep that are scattered throughout the body, that they're finding themselves in difficulties and problems and hardships, and they haven't come to the place where they are able to use spiritual authority in order to guard and guide their lives at this point. The maturing sheep are to be caring for the flock, caring for the lambs. Peter, or Jesus said to Peter a third time, seems like it's getting a bit redundant, but he's, Jesus says to Peter a third time, do you love me? Now this is something else because now Jesus uses the word phileo. He's endeavoring to bring Peter into a higher calling, a higher purpose for the anointing that's upon his life. Peter can't see, can't understand what Jesus is endeavoring to do. And Jesus says to him now, after Peter has said twice, I love you like a brother, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And I believe that what Jesus is saying to Peter, do you really love me like a brother? Are you really that close to me, Peter? Peter probably felt pretty good about himself when he said, I love you like a brother. You're so close to me. But wasn't it Peter who said, Lord, how many times should I forgive those that offend me and those that sin against me in a day seven times? Jesus replies, no, 70 times seven. Peter, do you really really love me like a brother. Proverbs chapter 18 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And perhaps Jesus is endeavoring to bring Peter into that place where he's even closer than a brother in his relationship with Jesus. Do you phileo me? Do you really love me like a brother? Now, Jesus talks about feeding the sheep like a shepherd would feed the lambs. Why would he say something like that? Feed, and he uses a different Greek word as he reverts back to feeding of the lambs. Because I believe what can happen, even the most mature Christian, even the most mature sheep, can find themselves in places of difficulty. Even the most mature sheep can slip, can sin, can invite the workings of hell into their lives. And it happens, we've seen it happen with spiritual leaders. Individuals that drew thousands and thousands into arenas and found themselves in sinful actions. And they fell from grace in many ways and difficult to restore them. But the Bible has some direction and some insight into a situation like that. Jesus is saying, take these sheep 
and treat them like lambs in order that they can recover from their fall. The heart of God is always reconciliation. The heart of God is always recovery. And I want you to keep that in mind because it comes to a place where you find yourself in a very compromising situation. Perhaps some of you are in that compromising situation as I speak to you this morning. But please know that God our Father is endeavoring through the anointing of the Holy Spirit to draw you out of that very difficult situation and bring you back onto the path of righteousness and godliness for your life. Even the most mature sheep can find themselves in a compromising situation. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, or the New King James Version says spiritual, or in other words, mature, those of you that have a solid, strong walk in your relationship with Christ, go to that individual that has stumbled, that has fallen, because I'll guarantee you they're being condemned and they're being beaten down by the enemy and feeling that God could never love them again. God could never use them again. God could never restore them back into a place of maturity after what they've done. But that's not what the word says. You who are spiritual, you who are mature, go after the one who has fallen. There's the ministry of the saints. Go after the one who has fallen and restore them gently and humbly. Help that person back onto the right path. Back onto the right path. It's crucial that we understand this because that is such a powerful, powerful, powerful ministry. So my point to all that section that point is simply this. There is an anointing to minister to others through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if you will walk in that anointing and live in that maturity, you will see the power of God working through you, which is absolutely so true because my second point to the anointing is simply this. There is power, undeniable power in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the anointing oil was to represent, the presence of the Holy Spirit in that individual's life. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13 says this, so as David stood there among his brothers, remember when Samuel says, is this it? These are all your sons? Because he knew he heard from God. He heard from God that he was to go and anoint David as king. But as each and every one of the brothers passed by, Samuel knew that none of these were, were the anointed one to be king. And he says, are there no others? Yes, well, David's out in the field watching over the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him, we'll wait. And they bring David in. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil and he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And watch this. 
And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. David was anointed. But I want you to catch this also. It came upon, he came upon David. It's the New Testament believer where the Spirit of God abides within us. It's too wonderful, too glorious for the natural mind to understand that the living God through the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers. And through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we release that power, we release that anointing for ministry, to minister. I pray you understand that. I pray you receive that. I pray you can take that to the next level. And if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to seek that out, that anointing, because it's that anointing. Watch, this is what the prophet said. Isaiah uh, chapter 10 says, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's not how many Bible verses you can quote. It's not how many times you attend church in a week. It's the anointing that's flowing through your life that destroys satanic yokes of bondage. The anointing. And that anointing dwells within you through the Holy Spirit. And it's up to you. It's a decision that you make that you release that anointing, that power, that strength, that might, that dunamis. You release that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you were baptized or anointed with the Holy Spirit, you were anointed with power, right? You were anointed with power. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive dunamis, dunamis. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and lives and dwells within you. David had an anointing to overcome every one of his enemies, every conflict that he would face. He had an anointing to destroy the works of his enemies. And God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing forth the Holy Spirit into your life, has given you an anointing that no matter what you face, no matter what the enemy brings against you, something can rise up within you, a holy anointing within you to confront the works of darkness. James says you submit yourself to God. That's recognizing that anointing, that anointing presence that, that is upon you. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is what the word of God tells us. Do we really believe that? But you are anointed to overcome the works of evil. No weapon that is formed against you. You hear these scriptures. I hear these scriptures. You use them. You quote them. I use them. I quote them. Do we really believe what the word of God is saying? I recently read of a terrible, terrible situation where a, a serial killer had abducted a family and uh, murdered all four members of the family, the mother and the father and the two children. And, um, 
And my heart just broke reading this story because I'm thinking that, that, and I, I have no idea where, what their spiritual walk was in that household. That should never, never happen to an anointed child of the living God. Never, never. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is within this monster, within this evil one. The Holy Spirit within you has a greater force, a greater power, a greater might than anything that comes against you, anything that comes against me. The Holy Spirit within me. And unfortunately, people would call that persecution. Well, the Bible says you'll be persecuted. But it never says that persecution should overcome you. Never. I hate you as a, because you're a Christian. Get over it. Because nothing's changing. I'm not going back to the slop I used to dwell in. Never. Persecution will come. And even as that persecutor would endeavor to rise up against you, who's the greater force? You are the persecutor. You are the greater force because of the Spirit of God that's within you. You have an obtained, you have obtained an anointing. There's power in that anointing, power to overcome every enemy that you will ever face. Through that anointing, you destroy the works of darkness. Psalm 34, verses 19 through 22 says this, many evils confront the consistently righteous. But, unfortunately, some Christians will stop there because they're going through this hardship, going through that hardship. And yes, I understand, hardships do come. But hardships should never, 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 never overcome me as a born-again, spirit-filled child of the living God. Never. Hardships will come. But you and I should be able to overcome every one of them. Every evil or many evils confront the consistently righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall cause the death of the wicked. And they who hate the just and righteous shall be held guilty and they shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the lives of his servants and none of those who take refuge and trust in him shall be condemned or held guilty. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and that's the power belonging to the anointed child of God, the believer. Third point. First point, there's a purpose to the anointing. Second point, there is power in the anointing. Third point, there is a plan with the anointing. The plan of the anointing within your life is literally to destroy the works of darkness. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says this. He who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil takes his character from the evil one. For the devil has sinned, violated the divine law from the beginning. The New King James Version says this, but, but the reason the Son of God 
was made manifest or visible was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. In other words, the anointing of God within you enables you to overcome any issue of sin that the enemy wants to bind you with. Jesus said this, whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. And I did a little research on that word heaven. It doesn't necessarily mean the place where God dwells, but it can mean it will be bound in the heavenlies. What did Jesus say to his disciples when they, the 70 went out and they come back and said the demons are subject to us? We saw people who were oppressed, delivered, and set free by the power and in the power of your name, which is the anointing. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I saw Satan fall from the heavenlies like lightning. Whatever you bind here on earth, this is what our Lord, our God, and our Savior is. Whatever you bind here on earth shall be bound in the realms of the heavenlies. Do you realize that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air? Constantly, constantly, constantly looking for something that he can condemn the believer with. But as that believer walks in the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ and in the anointing of the Spirit of God, he takes authority, she takes authority out over those forces of darkness that are endeavoring to up, up he, bring upheaval to their lives, to bring condemnation to their lives, to bring destruction to their lives. And the power of the greater one that dwells in you gives you that authority, that exousia to bind the workings of hell that are endeavoring to destroy the lives of God's creation. Whatever you bind here on this earth will be bound in the heavenlies. Whatever you loose, you break, you destroy, you dissolve here on earth will be dissolved in the heavenlies. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We need to understand, church, as we walk in our authority with the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the anointing, the anointing fulfills the purpose of God for ministry. The anointing releases the power of God to minister, and the anointing brings to pass the plan of God in ministry, in ministry. Hallelujah. It's the anointing that destroys satanic yokes of bondage. And if the enemy is hassling you, if the enemy is beating upon you, you need to rise up in the anointing of the Spirit of God and take dominion out over the forces of darkness by faith. And remember, faith looses the, the, uh, looses the, the exousia and the dunamis, but it flows through the channel of the anointing. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Release that exousia. Release that dunamis through the anointing. Faith loses exousia. Faith loses dunamis. And it all flows through the anointing 
of the Spirit of God that's within us. Remember, anointing is the fatness or the abundance of the presence of God in our lives. In Jesus' name. Can you receive it today, church? I pray so. Stand with me if you would. This coming Wednesday is worship night. Always a powerful powerful time of God's presence. We encourage you, come out for worship night on Wednesday. You will be blessed. Hallelujah. Guys, don't forget to get your gatekeeper tickets. All right? Five bucks. What a deal. Here we go. One, two, three. Hallelujah. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful, wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed. Be a blessing.